The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the first four verses, and then we'll start going through our, our points here. It says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then it goes on to describe all these different languages. They're all preaching supernaturally to them, and they said, we hear, down in verse 11, we hear them, the crowd that had gathered, speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And a huge, thousands and thousands of Jewish people who were there in uh, Israel and in Jerusalem, specifically to be at Pentecost, when they saw this supernatural phenomenon, or all these people speaking in all these languages and glorifying God, they thought, well, how can these people do this? How do they know all these languages? They knew something unusual was happening. Somebody said, ah, they must be drunk. And then Peter took advantage of that moment and that opportunity. He said, men and brethren, listen to this. These are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his spirit in the last days. So the last days literally started on Pentecost 2,000 years ago, uh, where God would pour out his spirit and they were giving him glory and giving God the praise. Peter got up and preached literally 50 days from the resurrection of Jesus, who had just been crucified on, on Passover and had been afraid and denied the Lord, and they had all run away. And now 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, James, John, and 120 who were in an upper room. And the power of God came into them. Boldness came upon them. And Peter stood up in the very place where it was illegal to preach Jesus is the Messiah, according to local teachings of the Pharisees. That's why they crucified Jesus. It was also illegal according to the Roman world because they had executed Jesus. But Peter stood up and on Pentecost, he opened his mouth. He preached that Jesus, the same Jesus whom you rejected and crucified, it was all part of God's plan. He is alive. He is risen. He is both Lord and Christ. And they were cut to the heart and three thousand Jewish people accepted Jesus as their Savior, and the church was born. Hallelujah. It was awesome, beautiful, and precious. So here, I want you to, uh, if, as you're following along, here's the first of the little PowerPoint, you know, applications we'll have. Pentecost is the culmination of Passover. So I want to mention how we began our, you know, I'm talking about us collectively right here, our journey uh, it, right, right before uh, Passover or Good Friday. And I'm sure you, re you remember that. It was the strangest Good Friday that we'd ever had. And the Lord began to speak to me and minister to me this, as this plague 
fell upon not just, you know, the United States, but, but the whole world. It was a pandemic, the whole world. And the whole world, governments around the world were saying, don't go anywhere. Don't, you know, almost basically just go home, stay home, shelter in, shutter in, whatever. Don't go anywhere. And God began speaking to me, son, do you realize that's what I did to my people? Back in the, in the first Passover, I told them, a plague is coming. I want you all to get into your houses. And you, you stay dressed because I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to do a mighty deliverance. You, so you get ready. And, but I, you need to do something. You need to put the blood of a lamb without spot or blemish on the doorposts and the lintel beam of your house. And as the angel of the Lord goes over the whole land of Egypt, wherever he sees the blood of a lamb without spot or blemish, he will pass over that house. Hence the name Passover. And the firstborn son of every home where he sees the blood of the lamb will be spared. But if he does not see the blood of the lamb, that firstborn son will be taken. Now, the word got out even to the Egyptians. They'd already been through the first nine plagues, and they said, you know, whatever that Moses guy says God's going to do, he does it. So there were many Egyptians, note Gentiles, who said, we're putting blood of a spotless lamb on our doorposts. So the, the whole collective experience, you know, that was kind of the, a very easy application for the world to hear a message. God has sent all of the world home, all seven continents, get in your home and let us preach the gospel. Put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts and the lintel beam. But know this, the goal of, of the great Passover redemption was to lead and culminate in Pentecost. In other words, what began at Passover was not the end-all be-all. Yeah, they got delivered, but it's to be delivered to something. And they are going somewhere. And they are on their way to a promised land. God was going to reveal himself supernaturally to them and walk with them, provide for them, be with them, visible manifestation of God's glory. So that is what culminated in Pentecost. And that was where God was saying, literally, I'm going to take my people. So you think of two and a half million people that, you know, they leave and they pass over. And, and now as they go, 50 days later, they're brought to Mount Sinai. And that's where Moses went up and ascended the mountain. When he ascended the mountain, God literally visited from heaven with rushing mighty wind, cloud, thunder, lightning, and, and the glory of God came down and God gave the law. So we began the journey with a global Passover. It is opening up. So we're not all the way back, but this is a beginning. And that's why I believe God put on my heart that even though we can't have it, you know, it's not like we're all back to, you know, the way it was, but that this Sunday was significant and that Pentecost is prophetic. So you being here, you, this is a prophetic act, a prophetic symbol. I believe that we're in line with God's mind and God's heart and, you know, we, we have a ways to go. But it is opening up this weekend with a global Pentecost. You realize Pentecost is being preached around the world to 2.6 billion people sharing the gospel. It's wonderful. So, all right, so here's the scripture, Luke 24, verse 49. Let's read this out loud together. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power 
from on high. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, you know that he was, he appeared to, uh, to the disciples for 40 days. And he would just show up and he was, you know, he could be invisible or he could be visible and he could kind of walk through, you know, if they had the doors closed or even locked as he did with Thomas. And at one time, boy, would I have loved to have been there. There were 500 people present, the New Testament tells us, that saw Jesus who had been crucified. And there he is, seen, eating, showing people the same body that was crucified is risen and I am with you and I am alive forevermore. 500 people. But on the 40th day, he went to the Mount of Olives and he ascended and he went up into heaven and he's to sit at the right hand of the Father. So that leaves 10 days. So the last thing Jesus says is to wait 10 days. Pentecost means 50. Because the Feast of Pentecost was held 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Both, and Jesus rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. So both First Fruits and Pentecost are on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the church was on a Sunday. So that's why, yes, the Sabbath is special forever. But Sunday's pretty special too. It's a wonderful day. And on the Feast of First Fruits, the priest would wave a sheaf of grain, one single. So back to First Fruits, the day Jesus rose from the dead, he would wave one sheaf of grain before the Lord. But 50 days later on Pentecost, he presented two loaves of bread to the Lord. Two on Pentecost. Why? Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit wanted to blend and to unite both Jews and Gentiles, heal the breach between them and build one new man, one new bride. Can I hear an amen on that? Now, two loaves of bread with leaven in them. So I believe that one loaf represents the Jews and one loaf represents the Gentiles, but they have leaven in it. In the Bible, leaven sometimes is a type of sin. So what is that telling us? That the church, which has Jews in it and Gentiles in it, but that God has made one new man, is not made of perfect people. No, we're not perfect until we get to heaven. The church will not be perfect until we are there in the presence of the Lord. So again, look with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, after the resurrection, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So I want you to note that. They were all with one accord. Notice Pentecost is about unity. And I believe this is a word from God in heaven to our world and to our generation this Pentecost. That the world would be come, come into unity, into one accord, one mind, one place. So they were gathered together sharing the same heart. So you think about the 120. There was 120 so here, you know, we're limited to groups of 100. So there were 120 gathered together in an upper room on Mount Zion. And they were sharing the same heart, the same love for the Lord, the same trust in his promise. Jesus had said on the 40th day, he goes, look, tarry ye in Jerusalem, for I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. So 40 getting to 50, there were 10 days. For 10 days, 10 biblically can be 
a number of testing. We're being tested. Lord, we're praying. We're waiting. We're calling upon you. you. You left us. You've risen. You're in heaven, but we need you. We miss you. We can't see you. We can't walk with you. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Wait, tarry in Jerusalem. Ten days. And literally ten days later, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. As on Mount Sinai, when the people gathered, the law of God came down. So on Mount Zion, the Holy Spirit came down. So Mount, on, on Mount Sinai, God's law came on tablets of stone, but the Spirit came to bring the Word of God written upon the tablets of our heart. Can I hear an amen on that? Beautiful. So I want to share with you, so we're combining, you know, the original Pentecost brought the law, and then the Pentecost where Peter preached brought the Spirit who writes his word, his will. He gives us the desire to do what's righteous and holy, and then he gives us the power to do what's righteous and holy because his Holy Spirit comes inside of us. But I want to share with you a little bit about history, the history of what is called the Azusa Street Revival. Now, how many of you have heard of the Azusa Street Revival? Raise your hand. Okay, many of you. Some of you, maybe you've never heard of the Azusa Street Revival. So I'm going to give you a brief little history. You should, you know, if you're interested about Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit and learning more, uh, look it up and read about it. It's very, very interesting. Um, and I want to show you, whoops, that's not the picture I wanted to go to. Whoops. Okay, that, let's see. Yeah, that's not, okay. I wanted to, actually, I wanted to go there. I don't, we'll see if I can go backwards. Okay, that is William J. Seymour. William J. Seymour was the man that started. He went to Los Angeles. He was the son of slaves. He was an African-American preacher. And he went to Los Angeles. He went to this little tiny house. Uh, and, he, you know, they had this little place. and It was very humble. And he was so humble. He was not a great preacher, apparently, not a great orator, but he had learned about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And because he had been rejected, you know, there, there was some prejudice at that time somewhere in the middle of the country. So then uh, he said, well, I think God is leading me to Los Angeles. Maybe things will be a little bit more open out there. So he went. It was very humble. There were some women there that were praying and praying that God would bring a revival and he started that on April 9th, 1906. They said that he, so humble, he would read some scriptures, he would kind of read about the Holy Spirit, and, and then they said he would take a bucket and put it on his head and sit down on the pew. Can you imagine if I did that, if I just put a bucket on my head and sat down? They're like, what's, what's Pastor Ray doing? I don't know. Why does he have a bucket on his head? <laughs> I don't know. And then they said, well, I, he's a very humble man. He's very, but here's what had been going on with William J. Seymour. He had been going and talking to the Lord, uh, and he'd been praying about, God, I want you to pour out your fire like you did at Pentecost. I want you to bring that rushing mighty wind that you did at the first Pentecost. God, I want you to, I want you to make a noise that will gather a crowd that will get the attention of this generation and he started to believe that God actually was listening to his prayers and that he was going to show up. And he was so terrified 
from the reality of if the living God of creation shows up, I might, what am I going to do? I might die. So he said, I just put my head under a bucket waiting for the fire to fall. And I mean, you can read about it radically. Now we can't make, you can't make this happen, but every once in a while, God sovereignly sometimes finds a man who's humble. And nobody would say, wow, William J. Seymour, he's the one that did this and that. No, and then the guy was so, he was not a good preacher, he was not a great communicator. He was a very simple, humble man who put a bucket on his head and hid it and said, okay, God, show up. And God showed up. Miracles started happening. The Holy Spirit started being poured out. People started getting baptized in the Spirit. Some would speak in tongues. People would walk in sometimes and see some kind of a manifestation of the glory of God, would be convicted or get saved or get radically healed, and it just spread and spread and spread. And so it literally became this movement. And what's interesting is What's unique about it, I think, go back to 1906, it lasted until 1915, those are some of the leaders. I want you to notice a couple of things. Blacks and whites. Men and women. And God brought fire from heaven. And he said, I'm lighting that thing on fire. Nobody will be able to reduplicate it. It's too simple. There's no structure to it. But that became the Pentecostal movement that, you know, later became a charismatic movement. And what I want to share with you guys, if I can now go backwards to the way I originally had wanted it. uh, Okay, so that is the tent of, I want you to tell about our church, where we came from. Uh, Maranatha Chapel, you know, some of you, you don't know about Calvary Chapel. That's who we're affiliated with, who we came from, out of the Jesus people. And it literally started in a humble little church that only sat a couple of hundred people. And there was Pastor Chuck Smith. Um, And that's, there he is, my pastor, who's now in heaven with the Lord. But he, he started sharing the word and simply, you know, he invited the hippies in and opened the doors uh, with God's love and amazing grace, and he let some young, you know, Jesus, God poured out his spirit, some radical hippies that were still not totally sanctified that got saved, and a group called Love Song, and they got touched by God, and they fell in love with Jesus. They were not cleaned up yet. They were very, very raw and messy. Uh, let, I'll just say that. You know, and and they played a song for Pastor Chuck. And as he listened to it, he started to weep. It touched his heart. It was so beautiful. And he goes, man, can you guys play this Sunday night? We'll have, you know, he's like, not Sunday morning, but Sunday night, I'll experiment. You know, we've got a few people, and I'd love you to play that music from young people in love with Jesus. And they said, well, we'd love to, but Freddie's in jail for marijuana possession. Could we do it next Sunday night? So anyway... (laughs) That was the reality. And the next thing you know, these four kids got up, started playing in the music of the time. And, and again, God said, I'm, I'm lighting that thing on fire. That tent was from that little church of like 200 people. And then 
you know, two to 3,000 people, and then it just kept growing, and it just kept growing and going and everything. So there's, they started, they, they had so many people at their baptisms, they said, we can't do them here. Well, let's go down to uh, Pirate's Cove at the beach, and they started doing public baptisms, which just ignited another fire. They said, what are all those hundreds and thousands of people doing? They're getting baptized. What? And the gospel started being shared on the beach, and the rest, as they say, is history. So what I'm sharing with you is, so Pastor Chuck, his birth, his being raised in the church was, his parents were under the influence of the revival that started in Azusa Street. So what started in Azusa Street and passed to his parents, passed to him, passed into the Jesus movement, and here we are today. How many would love to say, God, do it again? God, do it again. So we'll go through these, which I had already shown. Now, I want you to go to the next life lesson here, verse 2. Be prepared for the season of divine suddenlies. And verse 2 says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. So look, God's looking. God's waiting to find even a handful of people, 100, 120, one mind, one heart, one accord, praying, calling upon his name. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So I want to say this to you, the Lord speaking to me, because I want to be, be like William J. Seymour. I want to be like my spiritual dad, Chuck Smith. I want to get ready, and I want to get right, because I believe that our world is in desperate need of the fire from heaven that will fall. So the Lord's been telling me, you serious, son? You want me to show up? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? If you believe me, man, you better, you better start humbling yourself and get ready. <laughs> so I'm, I'll be looking for a bucket probably pretty soon here. The divine suddenlies. There are any number of divine suddenlies all throughout the Bible. It is one of God's supernatural ways of intervening in this world. Then suddenly... Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to read this out loud with me. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, I'm coming. I got my messenger already prepared and on the way. And that was John the Baptist. And I'm going to come suddenly to my temple. And all of a sudden, when Jesus came, it was all there. Thousands of years, 2,000 years of waiting from Abraham. And then suddenly, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, is at the temple, 12 years of age, asking questions, answering questions that rabbis are like, who is this 12-year-old? Well, he happens to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the world will never be the same again. So I say to all of you right here, right now, that in the near future, in the near months, and should the Lord tarry next couple of years, I believe we are a generation that is ripe and has been prepared by God for 
some divine suddenlies. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know where he's going to do it. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I believe it with all my heart. We have some big, explosive, I mean, boom, divine suddenlies for our future. Amen? Now, the sound of fast, rushing wind must have been very unusual in a, you know, upper room, and they knew it wasn't just a normal wind. But for those who were familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, they would immediately begin thinking of the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Spirit of God, as the breath or wind of God, blowing over the waters of the newly created earth, God blew and it was like you would see, you know, waves being tossed by a storm. But it was not just wind, it was the breath of God. That's in Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It is the breath, the wind of God blowing life into newly created man named Adam, and he became a living soul. And then in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 9 and 10, it is the Spirit of God with the breath or the wind of God who brings resurrection literally into the life of dead, dry bones, which was symbolic of the Jewish people and of the rebirth of the Jewish nation Israel that just happened in 1948. It was suddenly, it was your physical ears heard it. And it was from heaven. It was not from earth. It was mighty. It was full of force. And it came with great power. Now, what happened when that wind came? The baptism of fire. Verse 3. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each of them. So I want to talk about this. Look, there's the baptism in many of us have experienced, and, you know, what I loved about uh, when I first was, you know, drawn to Calvary Chapel, I'll just, you know, very, very briefly, I'll tell you my background was more traditional, and there were some, you know, denominations I had been a part of that they believed that, yes, you get saved, and you, but you get the Holy Spirit, and that's kind of it, and they didn't really necessarily believe the gifts were still for today. That's okay. That's where they were. But as I began growing in my Christian walk and listening and hearing a lot on the radio those days and listening to various preachers, and I was like, you know, I mean, there was a lot happening. Uh, and I, I became convinced that the Bible, you know, was still true and that God was still doing what he used to do today. But I didn't, I didn't know where to find it. And then God began to lead and guide and direct me to places where, not unlike William J. Seymour, who had never experienced it in his life, it was not part of his background, but he saw it in the Word of God and he started preaching it before he had ever experienced it. By faith. God said this, and I believe it. Never seen it, never heard it, never done it, never experienced it, but he began preaching it, and then, as by faith he preached it, God made it a reality. So this is uh, similar that, that God is doing something. We've, many of us have experienced even the, maybe the baptism of the Spirit, but there is also the baptism with fire. Look with me at, at Matthew chapter 3, verse, verse 11. These are the words of John the Baptist about Jesus. And let's read it out loud. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals 
I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, the baptism of the Spirit. Yes, and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And, but there's also fire. And I want to say that I believe that we're living in days where God not only wants to bring, yes, the gifts and that demonstrate and prove Jesus is alive and he is risen and he's already been healing people and he, he's doing what he does. But there is another side to the baptism that I believe this generation needs for such a time as this, and that is a, the baptism of fire. And what I mean by that is fire is a word in the Bible that speaks of purification. As a refiner uses fire to make gold pure. God is using this pandemic, he's using this time from Passover now to Pentecost to bring everything that has been hidden to the surface. Do you hear me? Globally, starting with the church, and we go, wow, man, look, there's some nasty stuff in there in this world. Okay, good, true, and God's going to deal with all that, but judgment begins in the house of the Lord with God's own Children, so God is using the heat of the times to bring stuff to the surface that he might burn it away. What is worldly, fleshly? Look, if, if, if true revival does break out, and again, this time, I believe it will be bigger. Uh, and, you know, the idea is that God saves the best for last. Every revival will go to a new level. Ultimately, it comes to this personal, visible return of Christ. But the next one is going to be the fire of God. And if God starts manifesting his presence in such a way, we cannot be living a dual life, a compromised life, a worldly life, a fleshly life, have other idols in our life and still have, you know, oh, cool, fun. God still does miracles or he's powerful and play both sides of the fence. I believe that the, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, the fire of God that you realize that, that the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, you already have. I don't need to preach it into you. I don't need to call it down, nor do we need to pray it up. I'm telling you, there is, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and me, there is a fire, a holy fire that is burning and purifying and beginning to show and manifest himself in us and through us. God in the Old Testament on occasion would send fire from heaven like he did on Mount Carmel with Elijah the prophet, to light a sacrifice on fire to consume it. And here again, God is sending fire to reveal his presence and power. But this time, on Pentecost, it landed on living sacrifices. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So God is, here's what he's looking for. He didn't want us to go kill, sacrifice animals anymore. Uh, that was a prototype setting up for when Jesus, the Messiah, would die for us. But he's already done that. We don't need any more sacrifices since Jesus. Can you say amen, hallelujah, thank God, no more sacrifices but now what God is looking for and what he wants to send fire from heaven down to the earth for is living sacrifices. The blood of Jesus covers our sin, 
but he wants to throw his fire upon sacrifices that will, by the mercies of God, give their bodies as a living sacrifice to live holy lives that are acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And when we begin walking in the character of Christ and and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and then we speak with our mouths, because Pentecost is about opening your mouth and speaking with boldness and sharing the truth, then many multitudes will come in. Do you know that right now, uh, the ages of 15 to 19, the second leading cause of death right now is suicide. There are consequences to everything that we're experiencing and everything that we're going through, and there's a lot of pressures, and we need to be the church. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to have the light of God and the life of God in us and upon us to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. As many other are lonely and stressed and anxious and fearful and worried and depressed and some suicidal, the, those, those things are off the charts. Well, let's wrap it up. Here it is, the final verse, which sets up the whole preaching of Peter, but it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. I love this. This is our inheritance. It's by grace through faith that God can tonight fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know there are three uh, prepositions in the Bible that describe three different relationships we can have with the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, it's very simple. You just write down uh, three words. The first word is write the word with. The Holy Spirit is with you. But the Holy Spirit is with all 7 billion people on the planet because the Holy Spirit is God. And the Spirit of God is everywhere. There's nowhere the Spirit of God is not. So guess what? The Holy Spirit is with every one of the 7 billion people on this planet right now, whether they're in church or not. He's with them. But then when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit who's with you, and Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, then he comes in you. That's salvation. When you ask him to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior and ask him to forgive you of your sins, he comes in you. And that's salvation. But did you know there's a third preposition in the Greek that basically in English is upon? He's not only with you at all times. When you get saved, he comes in you, but he can also thirdly come upon you. And that experience, the initial one's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire, but it can happen again and again and again and again to be filled. We are to be being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen on that? It's not a one-time deal, but it can happen again and again by asking. It's our inheritance. You don't have to get super spiritual to get it. Uh, you don't have to, you know, because it's our inheritance by grace through faith. As a child of God, you can just be, he'll, he wants to empower you. He wants to come upon you. And that's why Peter got up and he preached. 3,000 got saved. It's the birthday of the church. The new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 33 said, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. So I'm going to leave you with this last scripture, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read this out loud. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you want to circle the word upon, if you have that, or in your Bible, that, that's the third Greek preposition uh, that, that, mean, that is translated into English, upon. The Holy Spirit can come upon you. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.